God's when they belong to Him. It makes it a whole lot easier to do. Whatever your job is, you ever thought that it's God who wants to do it through you? We think that God just gives us these different menial tasks to do just to supply our need. Rather, God has entrusted you with that job. God has entrusted you with that position. God has entrusted you with those dishes or that dog to walk or whatever it might be. Therefore, all that our hands find to do, we do it heartily unto the Lord. And the only way to do that is knowing that God's there. God's there. You see, the flesh doesn't enjoy the presence of God, but faith by the Spirit within us cannot get enough of being with Him. The Spirit yearns and longs for us to abide in Him, to trust Him, to fill us up. It is designed for the Christian life to be filled by the Spirit of God. We think that Spirit filling only happens for preachers, teachers, evangelists, or for those who are somehow mighty and strong in faith. I want you to know, Every time you see me, you're seeing someone who is weak in faith. I, I wish I had faith that was as strong as some of you out there that I've gotten to know. We've got to understand that spirit filling it, it is, it is not just this sort of thing that is given for those who have leadership roles in the church. This is the daily Christian life of what it's supposed to be. Notice in the Bible we're told, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Who is he writing to? Everyday common believers. Why? Now, what did he talk about? You look at the context of that idea. When you bring in the alcohol and you become drunk, it now has control of your mind, your body, right? But if the Spirit controls you, if you are abiding in the Spirit and the, the power of His presence, what do you find? You find that now it is the Spirit who is doing the dishes through you. That you become an empty vessel for God to fill over and over and over again. You and I, the Christian life, is, is a sponge. It's to be dipped with what God desires, what God requires, to be wrung out for Him as painful as it is, to be dipped again over and over again, to be filled and refilled. And this is what the Spirit does daily. Not even just daily, but moment by moment. Many of us may start our day, Lord, help me with everything I've got to do today. Well, that's wonderful to start your day that way. But how about come 10 o'clock when you're starting a new task? Lord, help me in this task. I've got an hour to do this. Or I've got an appointment at the doctor. 1 o'clock. Lord, get me there safely. Give me a good attitude. Give me a good report. Help me to praise you afterwards regardless of the outcome. Right? Notice the difference. We find that God is there in the middle of these things. Now, we can trust that God's presence is with us from everything from the doctor to the dishes because He has promised this to us. Hebrews tells us this. Hebrews 13. I'm going to have a, some different verses this evening, a whole lot. Uh, that psalm is sort of just springboarding us, just reminding us of where we were looking at the uh, omnipresence of God. But Hebrews 13, verses 5-8 through 8 tell us this. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. Notice this, when you and I aren't content with what we've got, it's because we're not content with God. When we're not content with God, nothing that we've got in our life is going right. Everything's going all wrong. We're out of sorts. We're out of whack. And we're just unsatisfied. And when we're unsatisfied, we're unsettled in our faith. We must come and trust the Lord and praise Him moment by moment for everything that He's given. He says, be content with such things as you have. For He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We should be content with the presence of God so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. 
And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Meaning no matter what I face, because the Lord has promised His presence with me, He's my helper. He desires to use me. He desires to work through me. God desires to help you, dear Christian. So many of us, we live our life and we go to God as a last minute thing of just, oh, alright, well, I've reached the point where it's too hard for me to do it now. We, we wait till we get frustrated. We've thrown the wrench. We've ripped up the instructions or whatever it is and we, we get angry, right? And now we go, Lord, will you help me? We get all frustrated like it's His fault. It's not His fault. Imagine what would have happened had we gone to Him in the first place. And so when we go to the Lord in the first place, we don't have to get to that point where we go, last ditch, okay, well I can't figure out this problem, so now I need God to do it. God wants to help you all the way from the beginning to the end. He says, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the Word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, today, and forever. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that means He is present yesterday, today, and forever. That means His promise of His presence that I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It is sealed yesterday, today, and forever. So that means yesterday He was with you, today He is with you, tomorrow He's already with you. Therefore, go into each moment knowing that God is there and desires to help you. We're like... This is honestly how my brain works. You watch a, a, a toddler... And they're trying to get something open, right? Or, or they're trying to play with... Y'all know those blocks where they try to match the shapes and stuff? I, I'm still working on those, but... We're, they, you shape them up, right? You figure out which one goes where, the square goes here and the square. And you watch them, and they grab one, and you know it's the wrong one, and you... Well, let me help. No. No, let me help. No. And they're, they try, can't get it. Now they start getting frustrated, more frustrated... And then they lose their temper. And then because they lose their temper, you lose your temper. And you go, I could have helped you. I wanted to help you. Here, this is how you do it. Pop, 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 pop. Right. <laughs> right. Y'all have been there. And here's the thing. We have the Spirit of God within us who is called our helper, our comforter. Why would we wait till we've had it up to here in our flesh to go to Him for help? Why would we not abide with Him all the time Lord, in this moment, help me to accomplish this job. Help me to praise You when it's done. Help me to talk to You through it. I can tell you this. One of my favorite things to do is cutting the grass and talking to the Lord. You know why? My whole backyard is nothing but a hill. No matter which way you go, you're going uphill. I don't know how it works, but that's how it works. <laughs> Josiah and Tony cut my backyard from one time. They were being nice. They said, how do you do it? we got to get you around more. I said, no, don't do that. I love pushing the yard because it forces me, and I know it sounds silly, it forces me to talk to God. Because every time that you're making a lap and you're having to go uphill, I'm tired. I've got more to go. And I find, and, and, it, and my prayer life is stem, I'm telling you, from cutting the grass. Lord, I need one more lap. Lord, get me one more round. Lord, give me strength to start back up. God, let the mower start right back up. It sounds silly, but it has helped in cutting the grass. Something that's mundane, something that's tiresome, something that you just don't want to do, something that you could find an easier way to do it. But I can tell you this, there was a day, cut it in record time, but I prayed the whole time. Out of breath, 
but God gave strength. And when you begin to do this, you find that no matter what it is. Now, I'd love to tell you that every time I cut the grass, I'm that spiritual. I'm not. I'd love to tell you every chore I do, I'm that spiritual. I'm not. And this is why it is to practice the presence of God. It is a daily, moment-by-moment challenge and choice. God has promised His presence and that He is present with every believer. God is as present with me as He is with you. Do not think that He's more present with me than He is with you. He's present with you, dear believer. And God who can't lie, won't lie, couldn't lie, is to be trusted. Furthermore, the Old Testament promises us, it's 704, we're going to keep trucking here. The Old Testament gives us promises about this. We're going to see several Scriptures in Isaiah. God's presence was enjoyed and fellowship of faith, but throughout the Old Testament, it was lost when sin came. You ever notice that? When we see in the Scripture about Israel especially, who would be one moment on the mountaintop where they're praising God and things are good, they've had revival in the land, they've gotten rid of all the gods and goddesses they were worshiping and things are going good, they've won some battles, all right, woohoo! And then what happens? Sin comes in, and the presence of God goes out, it seems. Now, God's still there, is He not? Of course, He's omnipresent. He didn't, it's not that He goes, well, I know what's going on around the world except for there, there in Israel and Judah. I have no idea what's happening there because I had to leave because they were sinning. Rather, it's the idea that they lose the fellowship. Now, you and I need the fellowship of God. And the whole idea of practicing the presence of God, it's this. Here's the reality of it. It's practicing the fellowship of God. It's to fellowship, to talk to Him, moment by moment, second by second, breath by breath, to go with God. Isaiah tells us uh, in Isaiah 59, Isaiah 59 verses 1 through 3. Here towards the end of Isaiah, there's some wonderful things happening. Isaiah has been given this, the Lord is giving the judgment, yet still he's saying, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. But in this now, in the last few chapters especially, he is starting to give these beautiful promises of the future to come. One of the millennial kingdom that's coming, and then as well, some allusion to the new heavens and the new earth. Now, in Isaiah 59, verse 1-3, through he says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Isn't that good right there? God's present. He's there. Nothing's too far that He can't save. Neither His ear heavy that it cannot hear. Meaning, God does not just need the big things in your life for you to come to Him for. He needs and desires and wants this for us. He, he, he goes, I, I want to help you. Whether it is the dishes or whether it is a death. No matter what it is, come to me. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid His face from you. We talked about that this morning. That turning away that He will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue hath muttered perverseness. What we find is that when sin comes in, we begin to lose that fellowship, yet God is still present because He will not leave His, He will not take His Holy Spirit from us. He will not depart from us. He will not leave us nor forsake us. However, what we find is that in those moments, we lose that closeness, that fellowship. But we've got to return back to it quick. But the only way to return to it is the same way that He had called Israel to do so. All throughout this, where He shows them their sin, He tells them, repent, repent, repent. Confess your sins before God. He is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 
Sin brought a loss of awareness and enjoyment of God's presence. But then just over a chapter, we find God's presence promised to be restored to God's people. That's Israel especially. In Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 and 2, Arise, shine, for thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. That's the idea of His glory. His very presence is now upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee. His glory shall be seen upon thee. Then in verses 19 and 22, it tells us, The sun shall be no more light by the day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. That day is coming. Thy sun shall, be no, uh, shall no more go down, neither shall the moon withdraw itself, for the Lord shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy morning shall be ended. Thy people also shall be, a righteous, uh, shall be, right, shall be all righteous, they shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand, a small one, a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time. God promises the restoration of his presence. And the fulfillment will be seen in Revelation 21 and 22 with the coming kingdom and the eternal kingdom, of course. And then we find Isaiah spoke of this earlier on. God's presence promised to his people. Now, Isaiah, of course, is being written at a time where they're facing judgment for their sin, and rightly so. If they needed any comfort with their conviction, it was the fact that God was going to restore them and restore His presence with them. That's our hope tonight as well. When you and I fall into sin, the only hope, the only confidence that we have is that God still tells us that He will never leave us nor forsake us. He does not leave us. He does not stick us on a shelf to rot. God is still yet with us. He just simply desires that we would come to Him because what happens when we don't come back to Him, God loses nothing. But we lose all the blessing that God would love to give to us of knowing Him and fellowshipping with Him. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Familiar Christmas verse. But notice this. Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a son. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. What does that mean? Matthew answers it. God with us. That's His presence. Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus dwelt, tabernacled amongst men. God's presence is promised. Furthermore, the New Testament promises God's presence. In John, Jesus is finishing up uh, His teaching on the last night of His life. John 14, 15, 16, all the way down through the line. What we find is that He is telling them, I'm going to leave, and yet I'm still going to be with you at the same time. I'm going to leave, but the Spirit is going to come, and He will abide in you. Now look at this. John chapter 14, verse number 15. What time is it? i got to see. Okay, i got to read quick. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever. What does abide with you forever mean? It means abide with you forever. That's exactly what it means. That is His abiding, eternal, everlasting, comforting presence. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. What is that? Rather, who is that? The abiding presence of God within us, that he will always be there. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. The promise of his presence, verse after verse after verse. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall also live. At that day ye shall know that I am in the Father, in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Notice that presence. 
He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. His presence. His presence. Judas saith unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. What a promise that is. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which he hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you right now, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. We've talked about this. Every work of God is a work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What do we find in verse 26? We find the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We find this work of God's presence. The very promise of God's presence is a promise of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Peace I leave, I leave with you. Why? God's presence is peace. Has there ever been a more peaceful time in your life than when you were in God's presence? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, you would rejoice. Because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it has come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. Then over maybe just a page for you in chapter 16, verse 7. You can see all in verse uh, chapter 15 as well, abiding in Him, abiding in Him, abiding in Him. But in chapter 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. That means His presence. But for if I go not away, the comfort will not come unto you. His presence. But if I depart, I will send Him unto you. Jesus says to his disciples, it is better for you that my physical presence goes away so that my indwelling, abiding spirit presence will be there. That is greater. He says, and when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are Mine, therefore said I that He shall take of Mine and shall show it unto you. What we find is the work of the Spirit. This is what He does. He's the Spirit of truth, the Comforter, the One who teaches us all truth, the One who shows us Christ, the One who magnifies Christ in our life, the One who empowers us and encourages us, convicts us. This is the One. This is the promise. The coming Spirit will abide and dwell the believer to teach, to correct, to empower, to allow continual fellowship with God, though Jesus' physical presence is gone. Yet, He's right here. Sticketh closer than a brother. Jesus would say in Matthew 28, 20, some of his final words to his disciples, Lo, I am with you always. Even unto the end of the world. Even unto the end of the age. That means I am with you always. All places, all times, and all things. How about then there in Acts chapter 1, the coming Spirit that was promised comes. 
chapter 2, beginning the day of Pentecost, and the coming Spirit will be the life and power of the church and of the Christian. God is with us. He has designed us for His presence. And He has desired us to know and abide in His presence. It's for our good. And it's for His glory. Now we're going to look at the practice of His presence. Practicing the presence of God is something that you and I have to daily practice. They say practice makes perfect, but we won't experience perfect till we reach heaven. This, something, this is something that takes practice because all of, us, all of us know our need of God. However, many of us are only aware of our need of God once we've reached our limit, fleshly speaking. Once we start getting angry or once we've already let our anger spill over, now we go, okay, well now I need to pray about this. One of my favorite things to do, and it aggravates people, and it aggravates me too, but it's fun. Is that all right? <laughs> Y'all do that stuff too. Someone will say something about doing something. I'll go, well, have you prayed about that? <laughs> and it's quite, quite enjoyable. But you know what's funny is that we have everything in this life that we ought to pray over. There is not one thing in this life that is not worth our prayer. Everything we should go to God for. Why? Because we need God for everything. The thing that you think that you don't need God for is the thing that you absolutely need God for. It's everything. The practice of His presence. Without God's present Spirit, we have no power over sin and we do not have the power to serve Him. You and I have made foolish errors at times because we've done Christian work and ministry without the Spirit of God in it. We, like Moses, should not want to take a step unless God's already there. You and I should not want to move forward or do ministry simply for the sake of doing ministry. Ministry done in the flesh is not the ministry of the Spirit. It is working with these hands and what we find you say, well, what am I supposed to do then? Understand that it's the work of God and it's for God and it's God who wants to use you simply as a tool and a vessel. God does not need my wit. He does not need my talents. He does not need anything. He simply wants to use them. And we give them back to Him because He gave them to us in the first place as a living sacrifice, as an offering unto Him. Therefore, whether you have a career, a job, or doing the dishes, or serving in the nursery, security, sound room, whatever you do, whatever your hand finds to do, you can find that you should do it with the presence of God as your motivation. And even as your dependence. Spurgeon talked about the abiding Spirit and our need of Him. Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without wind, or chariots without steeds. Like branches without sap, we are withered. Like coals without fire, we are useless. As an offering without the sacrificial flame, we are unaccepted. Everything must be done by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. You know why? Because in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. My flesh profiteth nothing. Therefore, if the Spirit of God abides in me, I must depend upon Him to preach, to teach, to have every conversation, to read, to study, to pray, to walk the dog, to mow the lawn, to, go, to do a job, to take out the trash, everything by the power of the Spirit of God. I know you, some of y'all look at me like I, like I grow to second head or something. I'm telling you, the Christian life is to look like this, but it's so backwards for us because We've gone so long without trusting in the Lord completely that we don't know what it looks like. And when's the last time that you baked a cake 
and prayed before, during, and after. Some of you might not be good at baking a cake and you might actually do that. I don't know. But everything that we do to be done to the Lord and to simply the career you've got, the job you've got, the relationships you've got, every moment you've got belongs to God. Would you agree? Do you think God wants to take care of it? Of course, right? It's not complicated. Do you think that God has entrusted us to be a good steward? Absolutely. You know the best way that you can be a good steward? Is to give it back to Him. We are to be tools and vessels for God. God wants to do your job for you and through you. He simply wants to use you to do it. What happens is you and I, we go, all right, God, use me. And we hold on to our fists like this. We're ready to fight anything that comes our way. Here's the thing. This receives help from the Lord. This receives strength. This partners with the Spirit of God to accomplish the work of God. Not this. This fights against God. This says, I've got my own program. I've got my own strength. I've got my own wits. I've got my own talent. I've got my own smarts. I've got my own wisdom. I've got my own experience. I can do this. I've done the dishes before. I've taught Sunday school before. I've done kids ministry before. I, whatever it is, I've done it. I can do it. I can handle it. i got this. It's a breeze. The moment we do that, you better get ready for a fall. You better get ready to flub because that's exactly what's going to happen. The moment we think we don't need God for it, God shows us just how much we need Him. Here's the key to practicing the presence of God, I believe. One, it is, it's an awareness. We need an awareness of God. You and I are aware about God when we come to church because we go, well, we're supposed to be aware about God because we're at church after all. You and I are aware about God's presence when we read our Bible because we go, well, after all, I'm reading my Bible. I'm supposed to know that God is here and, and trying to tell me something. We are aware of God when we pray because we go, well, I'm talking to Him, so He must be there. I'm aware of that. But are you aware of God's presence when you're checking the mail? Are you aware of God when you are having that first conversation with your spouse in the morning? Are you aware of God's presence when you go to your job and you clock in and you clock out? You must be aware. And there's a second. Availability. Brother Danny says, be available all the time. And that's a key to ministry. It's a key to the Christian life. God will use the tools that are available to Him. Now, if I have something break at my house, you know what I'm going to use? My phone first. I'm going to call somebody. That's going to be my number one tool. I'm going to call somebody I can help because I don't have a clue. But I've got a, I've got a, a toolbox, and it's got enough to get something either fixed if you know what to do with it or broken if you don't know what to do with it. But in it, I know this much. That I can only do the job that I have the tools available for. If I need a jackhammer, I can look in that toolbox that's this big. It's not in there. Unless I can take that hammer that I got and whack real hard, it's not going to happen. You can only use what's available. When we think from the heavenly perspective, God will only use what's available. Many of us are not used for God, not because we're unusable, but it's because we're just simply unavailable. We have made ourselves useless to God because we've taken ourselves as a tool of His and we said, well, I'm to this, I'm to that. Moses tried to do it. Jonah tried to do it. Everyone that's ever been used of God has tried to do it. But what you and I must find is that God 
and His presence and His power and His kindness wants to use us, we just simply have to be aware of this, aware of His presence and available to His presence. To continuously be available to the presence of God in our life. You ever got someone in your life that you, you hear the door knock and you peek in a window first to see it, who it is if you're going to answer or not? That's right. And then you've got others that no matter what time, day or night, they knock, you're letting them right in, aren't you? Why? Because you've made yourself available to them. God will knock day or night. We must be available. Awareness and availability allows us to live in the constant fellowship of God's presence by the power of the Spirit. Now tonight, for sake of time, unless y'all want to be here another hour and a half, it's not going to happen, but right there. <laughs> I want to give you a couple passages to read in the study, alright? <clears throat> I don't normally give homework, <clears throat> but I want to give a little bit of homework tonight, okay? I want you to look and read Romans 6 through 8. Romans 6 through 8. Read it. Chew the cud. Romans 6 through 8. 1 Corinthians 3 through 6. Read it. Study it. Chew it. Galatians 5. Galatians 5. 1 Peter 1. Anybody got bingo? <laughs> All right. I want y'all to study those. Read those. Meditate on those. What you're going to find in all those Scriptures is you're going to find the presence of God in the Christian's life by the Spirit of God molding us, shaping us, sanctifying us, convicting us, teaching us, empowering us, strengthening us to do what God has called us to do. True life is lived in a love for the presence of God. And this is what we're going to see here. I want to share with you a few quotes. There was a man named Brother Lawrence. He was a monk about three, four hundred years ago. He wrote a book, The Practice of the Presence of God. The Practice of the Presence of God. It's a short little book. Highly encourage you to read it if, if you want to. It's very devotional, very encouraging. I want to share with you three things from this book. This is his writings, letters back and forth with other people who would ask him for spiritual advice and things. And he lived a simple and a plain life as most monks did at the time. But he lived a life that spoke volumes in a short little book, 80 pages maybe, about the presence of God. He knew what it meant to wake up, give his day to God. He knew what it was like to go moment by moment and give it to God. Here's what he has to say, and I want you to chew on some of these things. You get extra credit if you read those Bible passages and that book, by the way. I don't know what the extra credit will be. But Brother Lawrence said that we need only to recognize God intimately present with us to address ourselves to Him every moment, that we may beg His assistance for knowing His will in things doubtful and for rightly performing those which we plainly see He requires of us, offering them to Him before we do them and giving Him thanks when we have done them. Lawrence here writes, and he says, simply put, how we might say it today. He says this, For the things that you're unsure about, depend upon God to reveal it. For the things that you know how to do, depend on God to do it. Meaning this, whether it's taking out the trash, whether it's going through a trial, 
You need God. And he says, offer the very job, offer the very moment, offer the time to Him beforehand and give Him thanks when it's complete. What you'll find, one, you're going to be praying more. If you're praying more, you're fellowshipping with God more. If you're fellowshipping with God more, you're going to have much more joy, peace, confidence, assurance, fruit of the Spirit. That's right. Brother Lawrence continues and he says, that we ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. We need God's presence in the little details of life. You and I often think that the only way that we can be used of God is if it's something big. Some of the biggest blessings in my life and partners in my ministry are people that you would never see serve openly. They are those who pray. And maybe don't even tell me they pray. They are those who are behind the scenes giving every little thing to God. And I can tell you this, the most godly individuals that I know, and I can name a few, some of which are in this place, much more spiritual than I'll ever be. Everything that they do, like Brother Lawrence, they say, Lord, I give this garden to You. I give the tilling to You, the planting to You, the watering to You. Lord, help me to do that today. And Lord, I'll thank You afterwards. And while they're doing it, they're praying, communing, fellowshipping with God. What's your work week like? It ought to look like that, huh? Mine should too. I ought to be prayed up before I long pull in that parking lot. Prayed up before I get out of my truck. Prayed up before I unlock the door. Prayed up before I walk into the study. Prayed up before I sit down to study. Prayed up before I rise from the study. Prayed up before I hit the truck. Prayed up before I go home to my greater ministry. Amen. We must live in the presence of God. God cares about the little details of life. Therefore, we should go to Him in every little detail of life. We talk about stop and smell the roses. I encourage you, stop and smell the roses and thank God for the ability to smell. Thank God for the beauty of the rose. Thank God for the fragrance of the rose. Thank God for the beautiful fragrance that we can think of that reminds us of the rose of Sharon. That's not Sharon. That's Christ. There's much more to thank God for. Brother Lawrence says this as well. Let us look to God with these eyes of faith. He is within us. We don't need to seek Him elsewhere. We have only ourselves to blame if we turn from God, occupying ourselves instead with the trifles of life. In the Lord's patience, He endures our weaknesses. But just think of the price we pay by being separated from His presence. Once and for all, let us being to be His... Let us... Be uh, His entirely. Let us banish from our heart and soul all that does not reflect Jesus. Let us ask Him for the grace to do this so that He alone might rule in our hearts. So that to practice the presence of God is simply to have Christ rule over the throne of your heart as He ought to. To let the Spirit of God rule to empower you, to, to fill you, to strengthen you, to accomplish work, even the mundane and little things of life through you. 
We don't need to attain the presence of God only to be aware and available. That's what we need. This is not trying to find the victorious Christian life. This is already seeing that the victory is given and living from it. This is not trying to find the mountain peak of God's presence and is knowing that God's presence is already there. Therefore, I must simply be aware of His presence and available to His presence. So that come tomorrow morning, with every step, brushing my teeth, eating my bread, whatever it is, God is there. God is there. And God cares about it. God cares more about the little things than what you and I realize. I know I'm about out of time, and I could talk about this a lot. This is a whole series, honestly. Faith lives in His presence. Faith lives with His presence. Faith loves His presence. Faith looks for His presence. You can find His presence. From the rose to the dishes. Faith longs for His presence. Not merely upon the mountaintop, but even in the darkest of valley. Desires to know the presence of God. Moment by moment, we must live before the face of our omnipresent God. Moment by moment, task by task, breath by breath. Oswald Chambers, a great Christian writer, having the reality of God's presence is not dependent on our being in a particular circumstance or place, but is only dependent on our determination to keep the Lord before us continually. As we bring this to a close today, we must love and say in each moment, God is here. God's here. Today I want to encourage you as we bring this day to a close, I would say that the Lord was with us today, would you? Of course. But don't forget that the Lord shall be with you when you leave here tonight. Do not forget that God will be with you when you go to work tomorrow or whether you stay home, whether you do the dishes, or whether you don't do a thing. God is there. May it convict us, but may it comfort our hearts tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we love You and we thank You, God, that You are here and that You're with us. Lord, not just as a group, but You're abiding by Your Holy Spirit within us even now. God, teach us to pray. Teach us to practice Your presence, God, moment by moment, task by task breath by breath, God, that we would love Your presence, that we would give You everything before we do it and we'd praise You for it afterwards and that we'd pray in fellowship continuously before and during. Lord, that every moment that we would find a reason to find You there, that in everything we would find a reason to pray, that in everything we would find a reason to depend upon You, to draw from Your strength, to draw from from the well of living water that You've given to us. God, may we long May we thirst for Your presence, O Lord. God, we love You. May we be more aware of Your presence. But God, may we as well tonight make ourselves available to it, that You would take our life and use it for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.